Well, as I said, I'm going to go through the stages of meditation by Kamala Sheila, this particular translation by Dalai Lama and company. I'm going to go back to chapter 3 on compassion. I was actually going to leave that separate, but um, it's such a pivotal idea. I thought maybe I'd start with it, end it on it, start with it uh, before we lead into the next chapter. So chapter 3, Compassion, opens with, Moved by compassion, bodhisattvas take the vow to liberate all sentient beings. So remember, a great um, altruistic intention is formed, and from that, compassion. Of course, they feed back and forth, but the idea is seeing all sentient beings as your brothers, as your mothers, and that develops this great compassion that uh, has you vow to postpone your own liberation uh, for the sake of others. And chapter 3 goes on and says, Then by overcoming their self-centered outlook, they engage eagerly and continuously in the very difficult practices of accumulating merit and insight. So again, we're talking about minimizing that self-centered outlook. That's word could be word for word, right? They engage eagerly and continuously in the very difficult practices. This is constant. This isn't just when you're sitting. In chapter 3 of Kamala Sheila's Stage of the Path, entitled Compassion, goes on and says, Having entered into this practice, they will certainly complete the collection of merit and insight. Accomplishing the accumulation of merit and insight is like having omniscience itself in the palm of your hand. Therefore, since compassion is the only root of omniscience, you should become familiar with this practice from the very beginning. So omniscience, a word for um, all-powerful, when you understand that uh, everything is mind-born, right? your perceptions, uh, your uh, preferences, having control over this is like having supreme power within your hand. And it goes on and says, The compendium of perfect dharma reads, O Buddha, a bodhisattva should not train in many practices, if a bodhisattva properly holds, properly holds to one dharma and learns it perfectly, he has all the Buddha's qualities in the palm of his hand. And if you ask what the dharma is, it is great compassion. I mean, I've talked about this before, my personal opinion, that 10,000 practices, and they all have at the heart the same teaching. And chapter 3 goes on, the Buddhas have already achieved their own goals, but remain in the cycle of existence for as long as there are sentient beings. This is because they possess great compassion. They also do not enter the immensely blissful abode of nirvana like the hearers. Considering the interests of sentient beings first, they abandon the peaceful abode of nirvana as if it were a burning iron house. 
Therefore, great compassion alone is the unavoidable cause of the non-abiding nirvana of the Buddha. Right? Having this great compassion to liberate all beings and having great compassion for oneself is what gives you the strength uh, to step off this wheel of becoming, to understand that the most compassionate thing to do for oneself is to no longer be born, no longer attach or be averse to some of these truths. And so we'll move on to chapter 4 of the Stages of Meditation by Kamala Shila. Chapter 4, entitled, Developing Equanimity, the Root of Loving-Kindness. As I've said, you're seeing the Brahma-Viharas as the heart of the practice. And it opens with, The way to meditate on compassion will be taught from the outset. Begin the practice by meditating on equanimity. Try to actualize impartiality towards all sentient beings by eliminating attachment and hatred. So I've talked about this, that equanimity, uh, the English definitions uh, are found wanting, as the expression goes, because it doesn't give you this idea. The French uh, equanimité is much more uh, the idea of here we are eliminating attachment and hatred. So if we look this, look at this from the perspective of sentient beings, when you treat love and hate the same, those you despise and those you adore, aversion, attachment, when they get treated the same, that's your equanimity. And chapter 4 goes on, developing equanimity. All sentient beings desire happiness and do not desire misery. Think deeply about how in the beginningless cycle of existence there is not one sentient being who has not been my friend and relative hundreds of times. Therefore, since there is no ground for being attached to some and hating others, I shall develop a mind of equanimity towards all sentient beings. Begin the meditation on equanimity by thinking of a neutral person, and then consider people who are friends and foes. This is interesting because uh, uh, I give a, a gold star for the app that I'm... Uh, um, beta testing right now because uh, they do explain this when they talk about loving-kindness um, meditation, this idea that um, it's, uh, it's a process. So therefore, you begin with a neutral person because you want to develop this um, equanimous loving-kindness, right? This idea... Uh, not too much, not too little. This is why we talk about loving kindness, right? Because love can lead you to be, say, obsessed, as example, whereas kindness can lead you to be, you know, distant, in a sense, right? I'm being kind, but, you know, that's enough kindness, right? So where one ends, another can pick up its, and when one oversteps its bounds, the other can rein it in. And again, de developing equanimity goes on. After the mind has developed equanimity towards all sentient beings, meditate 
on loving kindness. Moisten the mental continuum with the waters of loving kindness and prepare it as you would a piece of fertile ground. When the seed of compassion is planted in such a mind, germination will be swift, proper, and complete. Once you have irrigated the mind stream with loving kindness, meditate on compassion. Right? So I've talked about this for, what, 138 episodes now, that um, it isn't simply kindness, uh, loving kindness. There's, it's, it flows in either direction. And I've said many times over that my religion is equanimity. This idea that compassion and loving kindness is only liberating and healing if you establish equanimity first, right? Because you want to treat everyone the same. It's commonly understood that, you know, it's difficult to friends and foes to treat them the same, to apply loving kindness to someone, for example, that's even harmed you. But one must remember that in the West, the same is true uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, that it is difficult for many because of self-loathing, this quality that tends to be uh, misunderstood by some uh, from the this Eastern tradition, this Western habit of self-loathing and an inability to apply compassion and loving kindness uh, in equal measures to oneself and others. That's where equanimity comes in. Right? And once you have developed that, the stream, this idea, it's an endless flow. Right? It's not applying it. It's, it's the same as these jhanas. Your first jhana is, yes, it's a temporary jhana, but you can achieve a state um, unhindered by our physical form, corporal form or somatic experience. The second jhana, again, still a temporary jhana. This is where we can experience an end to volitions and thoughts and preferences, right? Just experiencing uh, with, with no, um, no judgment, as they tend to say. The third jhana, which you can experience this idea of equanimity, but again, temporary state. The fourth jhana is where you actually are now in this equanimous, uh, mindful state, this resident state of balance, of madhyamaka, of equanimity, of upeksha. So that was chapter four. At 11 minutes, I'd say that was pretty good. We went through chapter three, compassion. And chapter 4, Developing Equanimity. Chapter 5 of Kamala Shila's Stages of Meditation, Identifying the Nature of Suffering. That's actually quite a long chapter, so we'll do that all on its own. But as you can see here, I don't know if I've talked a lot about the lamb rim, which happens to be my favorite uh, for... Um, I guess you couldn't say an introduction, but certainly to someone who is looking at uh, developing uh, mindfulness and meditation beyond just <sighs> basic. Someone who is looking to really delve into um, 
personal issues or um, is actually looking to develop this um, hopefully uh, resident uh, benefit of equanimity and balance of mindfulness, loving kindness, compassion. Uh, and this is why we misunderstand it's it's not self-aggrandizing to to uh, devote oneself to the liberation of all beings, this bodhicitta, the bodhisattva ideal. But at the same time, the Theravadan, uh, to work on individual liberation, is also not selfish. The middle way here is to make this vow of bodhicitta, but it begins with you achieving these states. Because... Your vow is not to postpone your liberation. Your vow is to achieve liberation and to remain until all sentient beings are liberated. So, there's your idea. I mean, I've run into this myself, as I've said before, having used compassion for 25 years. With this Western dichotomy of the self and... Um, and again, if you get the wrong teachings or you misunderstand and you think that the Theravadin isn't for you, oh, I'm a Vajra, I'm a, uh, an advanced practitioner. That's, again, feeding into this idea of ego. The teaching is within the Mahayanan. You don't have to step outside it. But again, as I said in the previous podcast, the idea is not to eliminate study. The idea is to embody the lessons, the teachings. And you're no longer studying, you're living the, uh, the teachings, the lamrim, the path, right? The stages of the path, you embody them. And like I said, it becomes liberating. But at the same time, it can be quite... Um, challenging to say the least but i'll leave it at that i hope you have a lovely day and as i said we'll continue on with the next chapter of this seminal text it's been uh, the basis for as i said i've spent the last year or two uh, looking for the perfect western interpretation of this practice complete uh, as best as possible and i keep coming across that the uh, this book these uh Yogacara, Vasbandhu, and uh, we won't go into the names, but uh, my particular sect of Yogacara and uh, Tantric Buddhism um, tends to be uh, where a lot of these texts are, are drawing their inspiration and their guides. So, at that, have a wonderful day. We'll see you tomorrow. Well.